This podcast is sponsored by Hey You, which is the home of the housewives. Every season and every episode of all of the real housewives is available to stream or download right now on Hey You. And it is the only place you will get new episodes the same day as the US. No spoilers here because we are getting stuck straight in thanks to Hey You. You can start a free trial now at HeyU.com. And after that, it's only $5.99 per month, which is like the price of a cup of coffee. And there's no commitments. You can cancel whenever you want. November is going to be amazing because something that we Housewives fans have dreamed of for years is finally happening. The crossover of dreams I am discussing, I am bringing to your attention. The Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip is coming to Hey You from Friday the 19th of November. I actually cannot believe this is happening. We have Melissa and Teresa from Jersey. We have Kyle from Beverly Hills. We have Cynthia and Kenya. Kenya! from Atlanta and we of course representing New York have Ramona and Luan as well what is going to happen when those gals get together I I can't even I can't deal I actually can't deal I'm so excited and if you wanted more oh there's more on Mondays you will have The Real Housewives of Potomac The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City and my girls finally back The Real Housewives of Melbourne come on everything you could need housewives wise is on Hey You this November And welcome to Housewives and Me, a podcast about why we love the real housewives. I'm your host, Connor Bean, and welcome back for another brand new episode. This week, I have an amazing guest. We'll get into that in just a second. Someone I've wanted to have on the show for ages. Like, they were very kind with their time, very generous with their time. So getting this one together is, I'm so excited about it. But I just wanted to say very quickly, thank you so much for all your lovely messages about the Hey You sponsorship and announcing that last week. It was really overwhelming both on my own Instagram and on the podcast Instagram to have so many of you be so kind about it. I did get to be at the Hey You Stellar Instastar Awards at the Alex Hotel in Dublin uh, the weekend just gone. I was doing video content for Hey You social media and I even got to give out the uh, biggest award of the night, Instastar of the Year, which was surreal. I was like, do not mess this up. <laughs> Do not read the wrong name. Make sure you were you don't have too many drinks beforehand. So that was a bit nerve-wracking, but honestly it was really fun. A huge thank you to Hey You for all their help with that. To Stellar Magazine and all the team there for an amazing event that looked incredible and was just such a nice vibe. And to everybody who spoke to me for the videos that um, I was sharing online. It was so nice that people gave me their time and they were everyone was so helpful and friendly. I really appreciate it. So on to this week's incredible guest. Today I'm talking to intuitive and empath and host of the podcast Deep Dive with Jamie Stein, the one and only Jamie Stein, who you've probably heard on other Housewives shows over the years. I just love his take on the shows. I understand that maybe the work that he does is something that some people are into and some people, some people may not be, but I just love his takes on the shows and his analysis and the way he wants to kind of go deeper and see what the behavior we're seeing from certain characters on the show says about them or or even our response to them as viewers. So to me, he's kind of the dream guest where we just get to go and have a big, juicy conversation about our fave shows. This episode runs a bit longer than recent ones. I was wary of putting out a longer episode, but by the same token, there was so much good stuff here I wanted to share. And also, given how kind everyone has been about, you know, good news for the show recently, I felt like, you know what, you deserve a longer episode as a thank you for all your lovely kindness. It's much appreciated. I should say I had some problems in editing with the sound on both ends. I was having issues with my mic, I think, on the day that I only really picked up on when I went to edit the episode. So hopefully it all sounds okay. If there's some issues with the sound, I do apologize. I record the podcast remotely and by myself uh, without a studio, etc. So sometimes it can be a bit hit or miss on the day and sometimes in post to try and fix it. But 
listen, I don't always get it right, but hopefully it sounds okay. And I think there's so much great stuff in here. You won't mind either way. So without any further ado, here is this week's guest, Jamie Stein on Housewives and Me. My guest today is an intuitive and an empath and the host of the amazing podcast, Deep Dive with Jamie Stein. Jamie Stein, welcome to Housewives and Me. Thank you, Connor. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. I have wanted to chat to you about this wonderful world of TV for a long time, so we've lots to discuss. Um, I usually start off by asking guests how they got into Housewives, but could we just very quickly just explain briefly the kind of work that you do, not just in relation to the wonderful world of Housewives? Yeah, sure. Um, You know... Like you said, I call myself an intuitive and an empath. Basically, what I do with people is um, I'm able to channel people's unconscious landscapes. So their unconscious thoughts, their unconscious feelings, their unconscious fears, their unconscious belief systems that might be getting in the way of the things that they want. So oftentimes there is a, um, a discrepancy between your conscious mind and your unconscious mind. And you might want things for yourself in relationship or in money or in career, but for whatever reason, no matter how hard you try, you're unable to create those things you want. And so my work definitely operates from the notion and the premise that we are constantly co-creating our lives with the universe and that the circumstances of our lives are very much a reflection of our internal landscape. So if there's something in you saying no to the things that you want, what I'm able to do is to go in and kind of play emotional detective, find out what is that place in you? Why is it saying no? What does it need or, yeah, what does it need to express? What does it want to say? And then in giving it space, help you to find your authentic yes, or to at least understand what you and your process needs to get to your authentic yes. What I fi- find interesting about your work in through the housewives lens is, you know, and I know you've mentioned in your podcast that you have you people, you meet people who like fully get what you do, and you meet people who are maybe more cynical about it because that's the way the world is. But what it seemed from my read of just having heard you talk about this on your podcast and other podcasts is that you do this really excellent kind of character summation and hint at the deeper strands of the housewives i mean that's that, that's my read of it that, that 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 what your work lets you do in a way yeah it's like going underneath the surface behavior yeah. you know to really find out and i think one of the tenets of my work and the way that i hold it is it really is coming from a place of non-judgment and understanding that even our most destructive impulses, even our most negative intentions, which we see a lot of on the housewives. It's like, if you're willing to, to, to follow those threads, the genesis impulse of where it's coming from, even someone like Jen Shaw, right? Who's scamming people out of money. That's coming from somewhere inside her. There is a reason yeah. why she learned she quote unquote had to make these choices. And so if you really dig underneath that, there's going to be some sort of disowned vulnerability or something in her that was not seen, not heard all the way that needs and wants to get expressed. And so the idea is if we can just kind of hold space, you know, really for our own humanity and get out of our self judgment and, but also be willing to take responsibility for ourselves and our choices and yeah, choices we make, even when sometimes it might come from what I would call the lower self. 
it's going to take us into the heart of our humanity. And that's where I think freedom lies. It's just about getting to the deeper truth, like what's underneath this. I think a lot of what we see on housewives is defensive behavior. It's like, I'm not going to let you see me vulnerable. I'm not going to let you hurt me. I'm going to get you before you can get me. And we see it keeps these women, in this case, women, locked in these patterns of conflict and drama but underneath that, when they are willing to get vulnerable, when they're willing to drop into the deeper truth, when they're willing to take responsibility for their part in things, that's where actual change can occur. So that's really what I'm helping people to do. That's a great way of putting it. Um, so we will, of course, discuss some of the Jen Shaw and some of the gals in a second, but I'm so curious just as a viewer and a fan of this world, before you even tied your work to it, how did you get into Real Housewives? I had resisted it for a while. I always I always do this. It's so funny. I grew up <laughs> watching the real world. So I loved the real world. Oh, so I was an yeah. early pioneer. You know, I'm old enough to where I, you know, I was watching it as a teenager. But for <laughs> whatever reason, I just always keep drawing these boundaries. of like, I won't watch that, though. And so I, I really thought I wouldn't ever watch The Housewives. It looked trashy to me. It looked cheaply produced. Uh, but I did have a friend, a really, one of my closest friends, shout out to Liz Garcia. She watched... Real Housewives of Orange County from episode one, day one. She was right there. And she wow. would tell me the storylines. I mean, I still remember being in my Koreatown apartment and being on the phone with her. And she was like, there's this guy, Lou Knickerbocker. <laughs> and he promised his daughters they'd never have to work a day in his life. And then he died and he left the money. To the, you know, and I was like, okay, okay. And so I think what happened, like she was chirping in my ear. And then, um, you know, as like Atlanta had its first season and New York was yeah. getting underway, there definitely was buzz, right, in the pop culture world around it. And so what finally ended up happening was I was in New York City for my brother's wedding. He and his fiance went on their honeymoon. So I was staying in their apartment while they were away. And it was mm. just one of those miserable New York cold winters. It was wet out. It was snowing. So I didn't really want to go anywhere. And, you know, this is what happens, right? There was an Atlanta marathon on. And I think at that point, I just was like, all right, let me just see what this is about. And I caught the tail end of the first season. And if you remember, that's like when Kim and Nene were having, yeah. were falling out. And I remember watching it being like, okay, like this feels, there's a real friendship here. It feels like something's really happened that's affected this group of women. I, I, I was able to hang out with it a little. And that led right into the premiere of Orange County season four. And so at that point, wow. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to watch the season and Orange County to this day, favorite franchise. I know that's an unpopular opinion. Wow. Uh, you know, Vicky, I mean, it just got me. It got me. Okay. And I was in and I've been in it ever since. Wow. Okay. So you mean, I know you said you didn't watch from the start, but that's still pretty early days compared to like people who've come on in recent years. So you were kind of an early adopter. Well, isn't that weird now? It's like, you know, I remember yeah. at the time feel, you know, cause it was the fourth season of Orange County, you know, yeah. and New York had already happened. Atlanta had already happened. I think that was right around where New Jersey was starting. So it's funny to think back now to that era and time and to like to recontextualize it now as the old days, because back then, I mean, I remember in season five, for example, of Orange County, where Vicky left that season being like, I don't even know if I'm coming back. And I was so oh worried Vicky might not come back because yeah. I, I, he was my most like favorite compelling personality on these shows. But it, it, and then you think about like, here we are 
you know, she stuck around till season 14. But I remember mm -hmm. at that time really feeling like she's the season pro who might not ever be coming back. You know, it, it was like but w the first chapter in the saga. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, actually, it will take nine years for you to leave <laughs> this behind. You're like, not really. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. I suppose that's your fandom of the Housewives, as it were. And we've discussed what your work is and how what you do with your work. When did it occur to you to kind of start connecting your work with Housewives and talking about a podcast and and doing it on social media as well. When did you decide, oh, wait, these two things kind of connect? Well, I never did. I mean, that's sort of the, the beauty and the mystery of all this. I mean, it really kind of happened to me. And it was just a matter of me saying yes to what was showing up in front of me. So literally, mm. I used to, I'm therapeutically trained. I work as a therapist. I worked as a therapist. I also had a whole business as, uh, you know, working with screenwriters. I used to work for Sundance. I taught screenwriting as an adjunct professor at college. I had all these kind of quote, oh, wow. legit, like, legitimate, you know, businesses. And, but I knew, I, and I would say this, I would say like, yeah, people are coming to work with me on their screenplays, but it's really a backdoor to working with them spiritually. And so I'd finally gotten to a point where I had said to myself, I, I don't want to hide what I'm doing anymore. I just want to come out mm -hmm. of the closet and sort of do this in a direct way. And, you know, long story short, it, it was literally within weeks of me really declaring that and really putting it out there. Hey, I'm an intuitive. I'm offering these readings. This is what I'm doing now that I ended up standing right next to Casey Wilson from Good Sesh. Um, the legend. The, the legend. Le <laughs> the legend. You know, just standing right next to her at the coffee shop that I frequent. And, you know, the story goes, you know, she was standing right there. And at the time, Bitch Sesh was literally the only podcast I listened to. And so I just turned to her. Yeah. I was like, look, I know this is going to sound strange. i big fan of your podcast. I'm an intuitive. I'm an empath. I have a message for you if you'd like to hear it. She did. And she was so touched by it that basically she went on Bitch the following week and said, you know, I had this experience with this guy. He doesn't know this, but I'm going to bring him on Bitch and we're going to have him talk about the housewives. So that basically opened the door to this whole thing. I went on Bitch I gave my reads yeah. on the housewives and people just started coming. And literally, it, I didn't even promote my Instagram on that episode, but suddenly a couple hundred people just started following me. So it was wow. like... Okay. And then I started getting the messages. If you had a podcast, I would listen. So yeah. I was just kind of sitting there like I I'm at the start of this intuitive journey. Here this is. This isn't what I planned. And it really has been me kind of, in a way, fumbling my way through it just every step of the way saying, okay, it seems like this is what the universe wants of me. And it's just grown and evolved. And I have to say, now that I've been doing it for a minute, I mean, it makes total sense. It's like the yeah. housewives give me this opportunity to talk about really, really deep, I think, complex psycho-spiritual issues, but in a very accessible, fun, I think, unpretentious way that seems yeah. to be landing with a lot of people. So, Connor, I wish I could take credit for it. I had no <laughs> conscious plan. It truly is me. In the words of Bethany, I'm coming from a place of yes. <laughs> I'm saying yes to what's <laughs> here. And that, I mean, truly, it has unfolded for me. I never could have planned it. That's crazy because I remember that episode of Bitch Sesh, which was a huge part of the reason I do this podcast. I mean, I'm sure there's many a Housewives podcaster who would say that now. And I remember Casey saying that, and I, you know, listening in our and I went, that's kind of LA, but also actually I'm really into that. And then you came on and you were great, but I had no idea that that was so early in in your I guess that part of your career obviously it's been in your life forever but you making that chance so it's funny how you and your work and the housewives are intertwined wow 
oh my god yeah. the place of yes bethany was on to something <laughs> she was on to something <laughs> for once i mean it's kind of my dirty little secret i don't know i i mean like i don't care anymore i don't think i really revealed yeah. at that point like oh yeah i just put out right. my shingle uh but yeah no it really it really came at a moment where i was saying to myself how is this going to work you know what what's going to happen now and i remember i got a whole bunch of emails after my first appearance on VidSesh, and i sort of took a weekend before i responded to them because i really wanted to think about like how do i want to because the other thing you have to realize too i mean i've been doing some of this work but you know i was just a guy in la getting referrals from locals this was the first right. time i was like getting emails all across the world from absolute strangers who just wanted wow. to set up remote sessions. So yeah, I was like, let me think about what I want to say, how I want to position this work. But I, I really remember sitting there that weekend being like, what's going to happen? Either people are going to book this work and I'm going to have a viable business or else, you know, I'm back to sort of square one. And, you know, fortunately it, it you know, it really took off. Wow. Oh my God. Okay. So let's get into the shows that we, we see a few shows airing at the moment. I think we'll, dip into those and maybe chat with some of the key players because on your show you have done very lengthy deep dives into Lisa, Erica <laughs> and Wendy and I have consumed every frame and every second of those deep dives but let's go with the the show that has really I mean it's always been a big Housewives fan favorite but I feel like it has risen to the top in the last year is Beverly Hills obviously I'm so curious what you've made of this season and and the stories that we've seen unfold and the, even the audience response to it this year. I mean, you know, I feel like it speaks for itself, right? I mean, what an interesting season. I mean, they managed to have a triumphant season even in the midst of COVID. And it's so interesting to watch because when you compare it to New York, for example, these are two franchises where on both franchises, it's essentially the women getting together in houses and empty spaces and sitting around <laughs> tables and talking amongst themselves. But we were just given this gift, right, of Erica's um, yeah. insanely compelling and salacious scandal. And it just, I think that combined with the breath of fresh air we were getting from, you know, the 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 trifecta or even the quartet of uh, Crystal, Sutton, Garcelle, and Kathy. I think it just, it, it, it had life, it had energy, it had somewhere to go. You know, I mean, it was gripping. It was gripping television, right? Watching watching the performance of Erica Jane. Erica Jane performing as Erica Jane, you know, and, and trying to suss out what's real, what's not. And, and then, yeah, of course, seeing how it reverberates through the group. I love what you said about the performance of Erica Jane, because that is, I mean... I've been joking about uh, the Erica voice, which, and I've mentioned that on Sexy Unique Podcast, they kind of originated the voice that I now have ripped off shamelessly. <laughs> but like that sort of weird gangster's mall, like 30s Hollywood starlet energy where her voice is so, just goes so deep. Like it, she just seems to be playing three or four versions of herself, never mind the stories feeling somewhat inconsistent that she tells. I mean, it's been kind of fascinating, as you say, but also quite jarring because Erica's presentation before to me felt quite consistent obviously because her life was probably more consistent yeah i mean i you know i said this on my podcast but she she just seems she reads to me as so lost like that's the vibe i get off her i i feel like a lot of people you know want to write her off as sort of consciously calculating and almost like she's this you know uh two-dimensional villain who's twirling her mustache and concocting her stories and knows she's lying i, I don't know maybe that's really true for me she's just someone who like her world, to your point, she's always been such a control freak. 
And I think that yeah. she's been so invested in writing her own narrative and presenting it in the way that she wants to present it. And now she's suddenly in this situation where the narrative has completely gotten away from her. And everything that she invested, like her sense of worth, her sense of power, her sense of strength in has been taken from her. I think she's a woman who everything in her life has in a way been protecting against a sense of powerlessness and humiliation. Now she's being humiliated. And I feel, and I think on top of that, there are definite threads in there of she's trying to cover her ass. And yeah, yeah. I would guess she is in some form of communication. If it's not with Tom, then with Tom's people. I mean, look, I think we're all in agreement. I don't think it's a coincidence she was filing for divorce right before this all happened. So she's got a lot of balls in the air. You know what I yeah. mean? And I think we're just watching her. It just feels like, to me anyways, it feels like I'm just watching someone scramble to keep it all together. And she's still trying to hold on to her pride. She can't quite keep her story straight. I don't think she even knows what's true and what's real anymore. Because that's the other thing. I think because in a way, I mean, she's not a good liar, but in a way, because she's a good liar, she knows to bring threads of truth into it. I believe the stuff she's saying about the power imbalance in her marriage. And I believe that the marriage in a lot of ways, she was silently suffering in it. But I think she's now been using and wielding that as part of her cover story. And so there's just this, it's just this blend of fact and fiction. And it's like, where is the real Erica in all of this? And I don't think she even knows where she really is. It feels like she's really breaking down. But I also want to say I felt that way about her for a long time. I've, I've said that about her in other seasons too, where I'm like, it feels like the tension between the image she wants to present and the truth and, and sort of what's currently happening. Like, it feels like she's starting to more acutely feel the chains of the gilded cage she's in and that it causes her, it causes her like system to, to like blip and to spark and to kind of get a little chaotic. That's such a good point too, I think, about the, the gilded cage that you refer to, because I do think this season, a theme that has come up for me a lot just as a viewer and that they've, I think, address head on a way they it's usually just subtext is wealth and the do you know where the money comes from do you know where your money is what about your money like they're talking about money in a way that they rarely do in this franchise in general like it's very direct yeah and it's an interesting yeah it's an interesting topic right this notion of financial clarity you know and being responsible yeah. you know for the money where does it come from where's it going are you taking responsibility for your financial life or are you willing to defer it in this case to the man in charge and mm. what that even says about the relationship and your own relationship, I think to your personal power. Cause for me personally, I mean, I'm a big advocate of financial clarity. I think money is a spiritual issue. I think everything is a spiritual issue, but money is energy, <laughs> you know? And so it's like, when we're willing to be clear about our numbers and what's coming and what's going, that's a level of emotional clarity. It's a level of energetic clarity. It's taking responsibility for your life. So I think it's a very empowering thing just on a personal level. So yeah, it is interesting to kind of watch the women see her almost as a cautionary tale of, you know, to what degree am I in direct relationship with my own finances? It's so true. And it's funny because obviously with Sutton versus Erica, if you will, the Sutton-Erica thing is Erica feels Sutton is being very unfair and not trusting her and thinks she's a liar, etc. But also I'm really interested in that, that beef they had about like, oh, Miss Small Town, but really it's about money because Sutton seems to understand wealth and status in a way that Erica, for all her posturing, which at times felt almost enjoyable on the show, maybe doesn't in a way. 
Well, I think, you know, the vibe I get off Sutton, it sounds like she really had a wake-up call in her divorce because she made a yeah. few comments about, oh, forensics turn stuff up. And it sounded like she became privy to things that she didn't even know about. And it's because the thing that's interesting about Sutton is that she does have these direct conversations about money, even though mm. she'll say, like, the Southerner in me, I don't like to talk about it. But even <laughs> just the way that she says, look, you have an LLC, you got to know what's coming in. Or even the way she'll say, I was able to pay my rent through my own income. It's clear to me from listening to her, she's in the trenches with the numbers. But I do, I do get this feeling slash curiosity. I think the divorce did something to her and for her around that, like finding out there were things that she wasn't aware of. And she even kind of talked about that when she was purchasing the car, right? Because she said something like, this is the first purchase I really made for myself, which I thought was interesting. It's interesting, you know, for a middle-aged woman, I think my sense of her, you can correct me if you know whether this is true or not. I think she both comes from wealth and then married into even bigger wealth i think that's my sense that's my read of it too yeah roughly speaking yeah definitely so it sounds like she's maybe walked a journey where she was willing to give over those reins a bit and sort of be in a disempowered relationship to money and to sort of be more of the little girl in that way and that's something almost like she had a, a much gentler experience of what erica's going through of realizing holy shit there's some things going on here i didn't know about i didn't see I want to take responsibility for my money, for my business. And it's powerful. You know, when she talks about it, it's she's coming from a place of clarity and you can feel it. And it's interesting too, because, you know, when you think of Sutton's first season as friend of, and she seems so frightened of every slight possible interaction. And now she, she still struggles with some of the confrontation, but she has this kind of backbone of, I'm not going to stand down and not ask Erica these questions that a lot of the other women who are longer term on the show don't have. So she's got this kind of strength to her that comes through. And I don't know, maybe is that from that thing of the divorce taught her something about herself or being on the show has taught her something about herself? I have this feeling, I mean, this is just kind of a little bit of a hunch. I almost wish we could get Mm. more into her divorce on the show, but I do have this feeling she is someone who... um, I think ultimately the divorce has been good for her. That's what it feels like to be. Because even mm. if you think about her at the beginning when she was more of a wreck and you know the, div- the divorce and the sale of the house was fresher. But then it's like as the season went on and you do see her, again, I mean, she's really taking, she's stepping into her business. She's creating her own new home. I think we're seeing a bit of Sutton realizing that there can be a new lease on life in the second chapter. And that, again, we don't really know much about the marriage, but energetically it feels like there was a way in which she was perhaps disempowering herself and sort of deferring more to the husband and you know this is the beauty of these shows right it's like even just by virtue of being on the show and having a platform she's becoming more of a star in her own life and i think we're Mm. sort of seeing her step more fully into the truth of who she is and i think it feels good to her and i think she's starting to feel the liberation that's on the other side of you know i think a divorce that obviously was upsetting to her that's so true that's a great way of looking at it um i could literally just go through the entire river the hills cast you but i do want to focus on one person who has been around for a while on the show and is like a great instigator (laughs) but i don't know where i am with her because sometimes i love her sometimes i hate her when you think about lisa rinna like what comes up for you or how do you feel about her after this season that we've had So funny. everyone always she's the one everyone asks about. I mean, I guess she belongs right, to the show, really. Right? So she's the one everyone yeah. asks about. Yeah, she is. She's a character. She's a standout. Yeah, 
She's a standout, and yet she brings so little of her true self. It's so interesting. Oh. I mean, in a way, right? I, I, doesn't it feel that way? Like, do we really know Lisa Rinna? Do we really know Lisa Rinna? Like, do we really know what makes Lisa Rinna? I mean, she trots her mother out. She trots her daughters out. It always feels like she's willing to show us enough to where it's like she can say, well, hey, I'm putting it all out there. But do we yeah. really get the real Lisa Rinna? You know, that's always how I feel. But I don't even know what to say. I mean, to me, at the start of this season, when she was kind of having her tete-a-tete with Garcelle and yeah. sort of bending over backwards and contorting herself to try to like, you know, cause this is what she does. It's like, she acts out, then she gets in trouble for it. Then she finds a way to spin it. And to see her try to contort herself to make sense of her role in the Denise thing. I just, at the beginning of the season, I was very much in a place of like, we're at the end with Lisa. Like there's just nowhere for her yeah. to go. Like she is just to your point. She's just an instigator. That's her role on the show. And now she's twisting herself into a pretzel to try to keep it going. I mean, now that the season has ended, I mean, look, Erica ain't going anywhere. And um, Lisa is kind of there as Erica's sidekick and, you know, enabler and confidant. So she kind of has a role carved out for herself. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, part of me wants to say it'd be interesting if the women got really tough on her. But the fact is, we've seen her alien from the other women in the cast before. So I don't know. I think Connor, she's here to stay. And we just kind of have to go. <laughs> what do you think? I don't know. Where are you? With I, in a weird way, I could see her going like, I'm here to stay. I'm fabulous. Like she would just like, I'm going to get rid of me. I don't know. I enjoy her as, you know, of all the kind of characters in the show, she's the mo- like she can be the most fun when she wants to. And I think she's leaning into the sort of drag aspect of Lisa Rinna of naming her wigs and, you know, turning up in ever more outrageous outfits. But I just... I'm kind of struggling too like I found the way she's so doggedly trusting Erica really jarring and obviously they've questioned that on the show but also she doesn't seem quite know where to place herself like I think in a way the Lisa Vanderhump days really worked for Lisa Rinna because she had a full-on nemesis and now it's like well you're picking on people that we as viewers like so like what now yeah and it's I mean as you were speaking there were two things that came to me one I think this is what I mean when I say, do we know the real Lisa Rinna? Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've ever experienced her as truly vulnerable, like in a real way where I really, I mean, yes. Have I seen her shed the single tear when Kim brought back the bunny? <laughs> have I seen her cry when she gets confronted with, oh, you know, you said Kim's close to death. Yes. I've seen her, her emotional machinations, but have I ever like that moment, which to me was so uncomfortable and gross, but when Garcelle broke down, and yeah. revealed something of herself. I was like, I mean, and you know, Kyle Richards, who, you know, at this point I can't really stand anymore, but she's another one. Like there are moments <laughs> where she she lets you in, you know, to the yes. truth of what's going like even Erica, I mean, she tries so hard not to do it, but there are moments where the mask slip, you know, in Hong Kong, where the mask slips. With yes. Lisa Britta, it's like, has she ever has there been a moment where it's really been like that was the, like a true moment of unguarded vulnerability from Lisa Rinna. I mean, it's a genuine question. Have we had that? I, I mean, it's not coming to mind and it's making the recent thing where, where you, as you mentioned, Garcella got very emotional at the group dinner on the trip and, and Rinna almost like surveying a scene in acting class went, you really opened up. Oh, thank you. And I'm like, she's crying about being the only black woman in a group of white women her whole life. And you're like, oh, congrats. I'm like, this is so bizarre. Like, we're, it felt almost lacking in empathy in a way that she doesn't even seem to realize. 
Oh, I'd go further than that. That scene felt abusive to me. I mean, I felt like, I don't know what it is with these women, but, you know, when whether it's Crystal or Garcelle, it's like when someone's sitting there saying, like, in Garcelle's case, I feel like an outsider. And mm. the rest of the group isn't willing to just hear her, even if maybe, maybe like there is some part of them that thinks, you know, Garcelle, there's things you do unconsciously that you don't realize alien us. Like, fine, maybe that's true. But to just hear her, you know what I mean? And to get yeah. curious about it and to have that basic level of compassion to say like, okay, I hear your experiences. You feel like an outsider. Like, let's talk about this in a real way. But to instead try to like stomp it out, tell her why she's wrong. And I just felt like the women as a whole were badgering her and badgering her until she got to this point where she broke down. And then like rather than taking responsibility for their own kind of callous disregard for what she was saying, they sort of rewarded her for breaking down. And it, it, it really felt, I, I just, the word that came through, something about this feels emotionally abusive to me. It's like, mm. now we're gonna like pet you and say, good job. Like you've done what we needed you to do. It just felt like cruelty masquerading as empathy. And the whole way through, they somehow managed to spin it so that Garcelle was the bad guy. It really felt gross to me. That was, that was a dark moment. Yeah, and you're right. And I feel like there is a bit of a mean girl vibe from certain women on the sh- on that cast when they get together. So Garcelle, in a way, I think was speaking something that's her true experience. But I think something the audience we see it quite clearly as well. Um, with Garcelle, I mean, how have you enjoyed her on this second her second season of the show? Because I feel like to me, she's such a bright light on this cast, and that's why a lot of the stuff you're saying there about how the women treat her is extra frustrating. Because as a viewer, I'm like, this person is gold. Like she's bringing so much. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy her perspective, you know, especially Mm. because she is, I mean, that's what's so interesting about this current group of women is that finally, there's kind of a force to be reckoned with outside of the Fox Force 5. You know, I feel like there's kind of a unified front that's willing to say, hey, there's something we're seeing here. And you're not just going to kind of, you know, sort of steamroll us out of what we're observing. Uh, Look, I think Garcelle's interested. What I found so interesting slash perplexing about the whole Dorit Garcelle situation is that, and I do at some point want to like drop into it more intuitively and see if I can feel around. But the thing is the women aren't wrong. Like it is true that Garcelle, (laughs) you know, she can get her jabs in. I mean, I remember last season when she had, she was accepting that award and she made that comment about like (laughs) all my new friends, some of them not so much, you know, or even like sitting down with Sutton and just being like, so how much money do you, like, do you have, it's, there is kind of a little bit of a shitster in Garcelle. So they're not wrong about that. But what was so confounding to me was I felt like the, the examples they were choosing in this, like, for example, I didn't think that's what was happening in Palm Springs with Erica. And it was yeah, almost like they were finding something real that is a part of Garcelle, but almost using it as a, as a way to jab at her. Yeah. But it didn't really feel like they were speaking to the actual times that Garcelle died. It's almost like they weaponized it somehow. And so I mm. don't really know what, at this point, I don't really know what Dorit's primary issue with her was. With Lisa, I just feel like, I think a part of her was so pissed off that Garcelle kind of had her over a barrel at the start of the season. Yeah. You know, it was sort of really taking her to task over how she treated Denise. And I think Lisa also knew kind of Garcelle had 
the audience behind her in that. And I think there, cause you know, Lisa gets so pissed off when she loses that game. Um, you know, you saw <laughs> how much it impacted her when she lost that game in relationship to LVP. And I think mm. that with Lisa, you know, you asked me what I think of her. I think it's killer be killed with Lisa Rinna. And I think she, I think she was gunning for Garcelle as kind of like a fuck you for, you know, fuck you for, yeah. Holding me over that barrel for, you know, calling me to task for the Denise stuff. Like, you want to play this game? Like, I'm going to fire it right back at you. And it, it felt cruel coming from Denise, uh, from Lisa. Yeah, you're right. And also, like, yeah, Garcelle has been a bit shady, but I'm also like, I I mean, look, it's all complete guesswork as a viewer, but for me, it's the, what they call in Atlanta fun shade, where I don't ever think she's cruel or mean. It's more like she's like, we're on TV, we're having a little fun with, with gals. I'm going to like throw the cat amongst the pigeons. I'm not being a bitch about it. Like, whereas they read it like, you've been so mean. And I'm like, she's just throwing fun shade. You're on TV. Like, it's not, for me, I'm like, it's fun. Like, I think she's good at her job. I'm actually better at it than Rinna is, which could be maybe why Rinna is also like, hang on a second, Missy. Yeah, it's interesting to think about. Like I said, I haven't like, I, I haven't specifically gone into that. I, I have a notion mm. too. It'll be interesting to see what comes up. I mean, I want to say... I can understand how that kind of behavior would read differently in an actual person-to-person interaction rather than watching it on a TV. Like, as a viewer, Mm. yeah, it's great. I could see if I'm sitting across from this woman and getting to know her, she's like, so tell me how much money you have. Like, I could see myself maybe being like, (laughs) okay, like, what's going on here? There is something that feels like a little bit of a blind spot with Garcelle there. But yeah, it's, it's, but that's not the real issue. You know what I mean? And I think that's what we're all picking up on. There's something, there's, there's something else that's not getting named. And I feel like they're using this as a way to peck at her and to break her down. And I think I think that's sort of the interesting thing to think about is like, you know, what is it? You know, is it simply just being threatened by her? Um, you know, and the fact that she does have a voice. I, I don't, you know, I don't know. It, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to consider. For sure. I, I don't know. I, I just really enjoy Garcelle. We'll, we'll move away from Beverly Hills in a second because I don't want to just like recount every cast member even though I could. But very quickly, Kathy has been a friend of and she's in sort of comic relief, but has also helped, I think, soften Kyle on the show. Uh, Like, what is your read of Kathy? And we're talking about, you know, people being vulnerable and authentic. And I feel like with Kathy, we just get the prankster most of the time, which is fun as a viewer. But I mean, I'm curious if anything has come up for you when you see Kathy on the show. Just that I think she knows exactly what she's doing. You know, it just, Ooh. she's such a little, I mean, it's playful, it's fun. I mean, I love watching it, but she, oh my God, she feels like such, such a shitster. Um, yeah. She knows what she's doing. And I think that whole, her, you know, kooky Kathy, it just feels, um, I don't want to say like, it's again, much like I'm saying with Erica, I'm not saying Kathy in her mind is, let me play this part on a conscious level, but on an unconscious level, it feels very much like an act to me. It feels like it lets her get away with stuff. It's like, oh, I'm just Kathy. I'm lost in my little cloud. I don't have to, I can just sort of jab you under the table and then laugh it off. I'm just joking. You know, there's a way in which she really is able to sort of soften uh, whatever it is she's doing, you know, because she really was the one, for example, who I think sort of spun Sutton's wheels and motions at Garcelle's yeah. birthday yes. thing. Yes. Um, she just has a way of, she stirs it up, but she has a way of kind of masking it behind this very charming kookiness. And I think, I think that's her, her out, you know, I think that's her, her, yeah, it's, it's her, it's her little escape hatch. You're never going to, you're never going to catch me doing it, but no, there's something, 
there's something definitely calculated to me about Kathy. And, uh, and, and, you know, I think when I kind of feel into that a little bit, you know, I start to feel there's, yeah, there's a lot of rage there, which of course, I mean, you know, the Richard sisters oh. by all accounts had, you know, they, yeah. they had a difficult upbringing, you know, and Kim's clearly struggling. Like I, you know, I think there's, 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 there's rage. It feels like that Kathy probably doesn't want to let herself feel and know all the way. So I think that this kind of kooky Kathy kind of lets her get away with underground cruelty and uh, you know, <laughs> gives her a little bit of an outlet for, for maybe some parts of her that are mean and angry. That's so interesting. I mean, I hope she comes back in some capacity because I do like wonder what will unfurl as she stays on the show. But anyway, that's Beverly Hills. We could do that all day, truly. Um, we do have other shows airing at the moment, including Potomac, which, I mean, it's funny. I keep saying it's having a great season, but on your podcast recently, you were like, oh, I can't really like <laughs> land in on any core storyline. So like, how do you feel about this season's Potomac? Because it is, I'm enjoying it, but it's obviously not the same vein as last year because that hung around a very specific big event and this is more kind of individual threads and that kind of thing i mean look it's a fine season i would place it between beverly hills and new york again we're in covid so we have another real housewives season where they're all sitting around empty homes and spaces talking to each other so i think given that it's doing fine i think what i was speaking to though you know was just i think there are several women this season who are very much trying to produce how they're seen in the narrative they're writing. Like specifically, I think, and I love Wendy. I really love Wendy, but I think Wendy's doing that. I think she came in kind of wanting to sort of lead the narrative with like, you know, I got this surgery. This is who I am now. This is what I'm doing. And anything that goes against that clearly is deeply upsetting to her. Mia, I mean, she's on a whole other level of, you know, again, kind of with Rena. it's like, have we gotten one moment of like something truly real from her? Um, I mean, you know, we could talk about the stuff with her mother, but, you know, by and large, she's very self-produced. And then the main storyline of the season, obviously, is Giselle and Ashley kind of bringing out these rumors about Eddie and, and what to me just felt like such a clunky, sort of almost unapologetically crass way where it just sort mm. of, to me, it was just like, there's no other point to this other than just to serve the show. Compared to last year, for example, where Candace and Monique, that was a real friendship and a real fight. That was not for the camera, you know? Yeah. And so I think for me, it's just, there's just a lot right now that feels for the cameras. It's fine. It's still funny. You know what I mean? I'm engaged. They are bringing drama. I think what's going on right now between me and Candace feels more real more so because of Candace, because again, Mia is so, you know, she's so unbothered, you know, intentionally so. Like she's so, she takes such great pains to make sure she's unbothered. It's hard to feel her emotional investment in things. But yeah, I'm just a little, it's it's a fine season. Do I think it's Beverly Hills level? No. Do I think it's season, you know, last season level? No. But I'm, you know, look, I'm watching it. I'm engaged. I'm enjoying myself. Yeah, it's still, I mean, the one thing they do have is there is a wonderful chemistry and rhythm between them where they can kind of make quite mundane things fun to watch which actually doesn't always happen on Housewives sometimes with the cast isn't good you're like this is so boring Potomac I'm like I'm having fun I'm having fun with the girls <laughs> well they're funny I mean that's the thing I mean in humor go- and that's ultimately like you know my favorite housewives are all funny and I feel like that's yeah. just sort of the cast full of women who are funny and so yeah even them sitting around I mean and even just like the absurdity of Giselle 
hosting this thing at a construction site <laughs> and then they're also witty anyway you know and it's just yeah i mean they know how to put on a good show so please understand i'm being tough on them i'm enjoying the season um yeah no i'm enjoying the season you mentioned the Mia and Candace thing, which I'm kind of fascinated by because, as you say, Mia does strike me as unbothered to a point, but also I go back and forth with Candace because obviously last season there was a conversation about, you know, should she have go to Monique the way she did? But obviously Monique shouldn't have, you know, being physical with someone is not great either. But I struggle with Candace because at times she can be really quick, really funny. She'll have a scene that's quite interesting or engaging, but also there is a... There is a nastiness, personally, I find she goes to that really does actually make me reel back from the screen a bit when she does it. I don't know if it, how you feel about her or her position with the women. Yeah, no, she's she's interesting. I mean, she's she's really interesting. No, I I I by and large agree with you. She's someone I've really had trouble with over the course of mm. you know several seasons, and I think you know I think there's a lot to contribute to that but you know to your point I think there is a way that she can really get nasty and go below the belt and I I think that coupled with the archetype that she embodies of and and I want to say though that I know this isn't fair this isn't fair and that's why I find it so fascinating that I'm saying this but I also think it's what a lot of people feel too it's like being the spoiled little girl at the same time I think it's a difficult I think it's a difficult archetype for a lot of us to, you know, get through and pass. The reason why I hesitate saying that, you know, I follow like, you know, different accounts, you know, as I'm sure you do, like Instagram accounts, Bravo related. Yeah. And, it, and it's true. There are people out there saying, look, look at what Ashley says. Look at what these other people say. And it's like, why is Candace being held to a certain standard and not others? And, and I look at that. I'm like, you know what? You're right. You know, you have a point. Like, is yeah. she doing anything that is that different than the other women? And if so for me, it's interesting to hold that question, which I think is legitimate, and to also hold the fact that there is a large number of people who do have this reaction to her and that she does mm. seem to, I, I'm going to use this, like, I'm going to qualify my use of this word, provoke kind of a violent response. I don't mean that she deserves violence, yeah. but look, I come from a place of, I see meaning in everything. And like I said at the top of this, I think we are all sort of constantly co-creating our lives. And, I, you know, I will even say this. I am someone, I, I never, I didn't get physically attacked, but I am someone who for a long time in my life, people would randomly lash out at me in really aggressive ways. And, you know, I remember like, oh my God, I could, I could give you the sob story. I didn't do any, and I didn't do anything, but I didn't do anything and I don't understand it. And it's so unfair. But in the back of my mind, it's like, I knew look, my friends aren't going through these same experiences. Like what, like, like, what is it in me that's like bringing this in? And, you know, for me, I think the answer lied in large part, like I disowned a lot of my own power. And so even though it was unconscious, there was a level of sort of power and strength and maybe you could even say aggression in me that I was disowning and I identified more consciously as a victim. And, you know, people pick up on this stuff. And again, we're talking about the unconscious, right? So a lot of times people would lash out at me. And once I got more in alignment with my own strength and my own powerful energy, guess what? That doesn't really happen anymore. So when I say Candace provokes this, I'm not saying she's to blame for Monique's violence, but I do think there's meaning and pattern. And mm -hmm. I do think that there is something, I think multiple things can be true at once. I think there's yeah. something Candace is doing energetically where she disowns something in herself that does feel violent and feels nasty. 
Um, and I think it's interesting that she is held to the standard that, you know, the other women don't seem to get held to in quite the same way. Yeah, and it's interesting. And, you know, viewers of the show have pointed out at times, even on a show like Potomac, which is a show, uh, you know, featuring black women, which is not the case in every housewife city, that some some of the reaction to Candace could be a form of colorism where we are right. harsher on darker skinned women because we you know, the way this kind of weird, horrible white supremacy bullshit that's in our culture where lighter skinned people are hue closer to quote unquote whiteness. So they are given more of a fair pass. And I always think it's good to be cognizant of that stuff too. And as you say, like look at the bigger picture and a few things can be true at once. But I'm just wondering too, is it something as simple as, I always think of say Kenya Moore, who's kind of in some ways the ultimate housewives villain, but also has a grace to it. And that it's actually... As you say, Ashley, for example, has been quite rude on the show, but also is able to soften at times and play the game. I'm just wondering, is it something as simple as Candace is not as good at being fully dimensional on the show that when she is so nasty, we can go, yeah, but, you know, I actually kind of like her here. We're kind of like, you've just, you're just nasty. You're not able to, like, find the light and shade as a TV personality. You're just going a little bit too below the belt. I don't know. I mean, there's, like you say, there's with Housewives, you can go so deep for so long. Yeah. I mean, I'm just kind of feeling in it. I mean, I will say I've actually, this is the most I've enjoyed Candace this season. Um, I've found her to, and I don't think it's a coincidence that this is a season that she's most energetically separated from her mother. She still yeah. has a ways to go. <laughs> I think she is still not in reality about the boundaries that she truly needs and wants to draw with her mom. But Still, she's the most energetically separated she's ever been from her mother. And I and I do want to say she feels, to your point, softer to me this season. It feels okay. like this is the season where she's learned more. Just even in the way that she's dealing with Karen, for example, where clearly she still doesn't really like her. But she's, I mean, obviously not so much with Ashley. But with Karen, for example, she's, you know, I see her walking um, a more middle of the road line. Yeah, it's like, what is it about her and her energy? It's just, it's so interesting. I, I I really think, I think I was kind of onto something when I said earlier about kind of the archetype of the spoiled little girl. Yeah. I, I think there's something to that. And the reason why I feel like it's unfair is I, I actually think, I do think Dorothy's done a number on her. And the behavior almost feel, the way that Dorothy has sort of infantilized her, and I mean, by all accounts, physically has been physically violent towards her. Yeah. Um, it feels abusive. And and I think that Candace, um, again, in the place where multiple things are true at once, it's like I understand. So, you know, when we first met Candace, she was complaining about her mom, but still accepting handouts. You know what I mean? So it's like, well, Candace, yeah. if you don't, you know what I mean? <laughs> you don't get to have it all. Like, if you want to be right. rid of mom, guess what? Go move into a studio apartment if that's all you can afford. Stop taking mom's money. And I think I think that to me is almost the flavor of Candace that can really piss people off of like, I, like, like her mom made her into this like sort of spoiled little brat. It's unfair to say that because her mom, like I said, I think like can be abusive towards her. But as Candace, in the place where I'm disempowered by my mother, and in the place where I love my mother and some part of me still wants a relationship with her, my only currency in a way prior to coming on the show is to be the spoiled little girl. Like this is almost what I'm owed and entitled to because there's not room for my boundaries. I'm not gonna be supported in the full expression of who I am. I've been hobbled at my feet. So let me take what's mine. 
You know what I mean? And so I think mm. like I can say it that way and on one hand have compassion for her, but it still doesn't change the fact that however unconsciously Candace is coming from this place of like me, 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 my, my, mind, wah, 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 like spoiled little girl. I think the conversation is actually deeper and more nuanced than that, but that's kind of how it presents. So then when yeah. she's sort of acting out and like saying these things, and I, and I will say like, again, you know, I think, like you said, there's so much here and that's what makes it so rich. I think the colorism yeah. thing is so important to talk about, especially Ashley versus Candace. But another thing yeah. that I would also bring in in terms of like class, you know, yeah. Ashley is a survivor. You know, Ashley, mm -hmm. I mean, Ashley's made her own horrible choices, but you know, <laughs> she Ashley, to survive, but she did it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, she, but she like, you know, we've seen where Ashley came from. We've seen Ashley feeling like she has to come through for her mom. We've seen Ashley be yeah. abandoned by her father. We've seen this woman marry this horrible man to like <laughs> get to where she needs to go. And then you look at Candace from the outside, it's like, well, what her big problem is that her mom pays her mortgage. Again, I actually think that's not fair to Candace. I think Candace has paid very deep prices for the way that Dorothy has treated her. But on the surface, like, you know, you can, it's just, it's like on the surface of it, the, the quality of the energy, one just feels more inherently rootable and likable for some reason. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. It's very It's like rich. poor... It's poor little rich girl in, in some ways with Candace. As I say, there's layers to it, but on it, on a surface read, it does feel like, you know, oh, you've got certain amount of money and you've got problems. Whereas Ashley, we do know that she's in a, it's coming from a more of a struggle. But I mean, there's obviously far more to it, but I know what you mean. And it's like in that place where Ashley, you know, coming into the show won't just say like, yeah, guess what? I'm spoiled. Or yeah, guess what? I have this privilege. It's like, and instead kind of like pops up her chest and, you know, yeah. wants to fight and say these horrible things. It's like, that's where you kind of lose some of us. Cause it's like, I don't know. It's almost like, again, if she could be in deeper emotional reality around like, this is who I am. This is where I come from. I mean, I, I again, I think the main thing for her is that there's still some part of her that doesn't want to be in real reality about her relationship with her mom. Um, and to really be honest about how fucked up that relationship has been. Cause I think if she does, like I said, she's gonna have to draw more boundaries. And I think there's a part of her that doesn't want to, I think some part of her is still holding out hope that like she can have kind of a certain kind of relationship with her mom. And um, I think because of that, she doesn't want to let herself fully see the extent of what's been going on, like in her childhood and in her home. And I think in the place where she doesn't want to fully know what's going on, it's going to be harder for her to take full ownership of where she has been severely hobbled and abused in the places where she's been privileged in her own, the way she has unconsciously participated in. I mean, that's the thing. Like, Ashley, hopefully one day she can get to a point where she says, look, you know, I married this guy and I turned a blind eye to a lot of other stuff because this is what I thought I had to do, including his sexually mm. harassing people. That's not a good look for Ashley. But in the same way, I don't think it's a good look for Candace when she kind of disowns her own you know pretty little princess thing it's complicated right. connor what can i say that's why we love these shows because it is complicated yeah. that's so interesting This podcast is sponsored by Hey You, which is the home of the housewives. Every season and every episode of all of the real housewives is available to stream or download right now on Hey You. 
and it is the only place you will get new episodes the same day as the US. No spoilers here, because we are getting stuck straight in, thanks to Hey You. You can start a free trial now at HeyU.com, and after that, it's only $5.99 per month, which is like the price of a cup of coffee, and there's no commitments, you can cancel whenever you want. Everything you could need housewise-wise is on Hey You this November. Salt Lake City is on right now as well, and it's interesting because it was such a fan favorite when it arrived in season one, and then we've had these characters kind of have to adapt to newfound fame, which is always so interesting. So where are you with Salt Lake City now that we're in a second season? Oh, I mean, I'm just, I'm here for it. I mean, it's, it's alive, it's fresh. You know, these first few seasons are such precious seasons because <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, it's yeah. all so fresh and we're still getting to know them and they still have real storylines. And obviously we're all sitting and waiting for, you know, the um, the crime of the century to, to sort of play out. So <laughs> yes, I love Salt Lake, you know, Salt Lake City. It's such a strange, I mean, I actually love the city of Salt Lake City, but as a franchise, you know, it's such an interesting setting and, the, the mix of women so interesting with the Mormonism and the ex-Mormonism. And then we have, you know, women of color involved. And so it, yeah. it's, I, I'm for it. It feels like the next generation of, of housewives. It does. It does. It definitely does. So Jen as a character, like obviously as you say, the crime of the century is about to unfold, but also <laughs> I'm finding increasingly before we even get to that, a lot of the outbursts we're seeing, I can't gauge if it's just someone playing the part of a reality TV star or if it comes from a real place because it's so quick and so intense, but I just don't buy it. I don't know if that's just me. Well, I think, I mean, I, I'm, I'm prone to believe it's, well, I'm prone to believe it's real one just because, I mean, does anyone want to make themselves look like that on national TV? But <laughs> yeah, true, two, true. you know, there are also these leaked recordings that have come out, you know, of yes. her yelling at her assistant. So it True. seems pretty consistent. I think what you're picking up on, though, is that it very well might be performative. Like, mm. you know, meaning that she is quick to react and, you know, she splits up. I mean, you saw, like, Stu was trying so hard to just get her to look him in the eyes and to listen. And you could mm. just see she didn't want to take him in. She didn't want to hear it. So something in her is just very quick to react. She wants to fly off the handle. In a weird way, I think that is her form of control. You know, if, if, if she were to sit down and actually look people in the eye, breathe, take them in, like take in what Heather's saying, like, yeah, I caught you doing some stuff with these Instagram mm. DMs. It's, it's a place of vulnerability and powerlessness for her. And I think she kind of controls the situation by flying off the handle and being out of control. That's a great way of putting it. Um, obviously, Meredith and Jen have had their back and forth over Brooks this season so far. And Meredith, to me, seems ready to play or quote-unquote engage in a way she didn't <laughs> always last season. Um, what do you make of her? Because I find her sort of reserved yet wanting to fight quality fascinating. Like, to me, that's very housewise to be both reserved but also wanting to tear someone's head off. Well, what I think is so interesting is um, I really, as I watch that unfold, because I, in the way I agree with you, when I heard her, I think it was especially when she was talking to Seth at their little kitchen island and she was bringing out the tweets. And, you know, I heard her starting to actually get really angry in the timber and her yeah. voice changed, like feelings yeah. were coming up. And as I was taking her in, I, I, I really had this impression of, okay, it's easier for you to feel your underground anger and rage on behalf of your family than it is for you to feel it on behalf of yourself. And I mm. think that's sort of a lot of what's happened. Because she's even said, I grew up, my parents fought, 
I was the peacemaker. Like I had to kind of stay in the middle of the conflict between them. Mm. So for me, when I hear that, what I hear is there's some sort of relationship to other people are fighting. There's not room or space for my feelings, you know? So I have to sort of keep them underground, which is that right there. That's enough for someone to be pissed off. You know what I mean? Especially mm. if you're a kid, you know, like I have to keep my feelings quiet while the adults who are supposed to be the adults in the room get to be in conflict and fly off. So you know, and then I think obviously Meredith sort of learned, you know, better to disengage than to, you know, be in reality about my feelings because there's not room or space for my feelings. So I'm sure throughout her life, she's been disengaging, 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 disowning her feelings, disowning her feelings. So I'm sure there's a lot of built up anger and sadness and whatever's there. So when I see her, and I think it's so interesting, right, that like, when she sat down with Jen at that, whatever they were, the trout lake. She was <laughs> yes, so, frozen lake, yeah. The, yeah, they were ice fishing. She was so calm, you know, and she really explained herself really well, got her point. And it was when Jen started to just deny what was happening that she flew out the handle and she started yelling, like, I can't take the deflection and denial. And I just, it, you know, I'm always listening to what they say when they get upset, like kind of like from a from a bigger picture level. And it, I was just like, it's so interesting. Like what pisses her off is deflection and denial. And yet, like, isn't that sort of what she does when she's like, she sort of deflects and denies her own feelings. And I feel like that comes from a place of early on her feelings being deflected and denied. Um, so I think that Jen is triggering something in her and like i said i think it's easier for her to feel protective of brooks than it is just to like come straight and clean with her own feelings on her own behalf and i think mm. much like jen it's kind of easier for her to i mean jen freaks out i think it's easier for meredith to leave the room like i think if meredith were to sit down next to jen and like breathe as jen denies and not storm off and sit with the feelings that come up yeah, she she would then really have to feel the deeper level of like rage, grief, heartbreak, power, like the voice that says, why won't you hear me? And I don't wow, think that's anything. To, no, sorry. I was just gonna say, I don't think that's anything to do with Jen. I mean, she has a right to be pissed at Jen, like taking low blows or whatever. But the yeah. level of heat she has. That's not about Jen. Wow. Oh my God. I love that. That's I, It makes so much sense for Meredith. It makes, it, I feel like it explains a lot. One other person that I am just, I don't know why I am so fascinated by this person, Salt Lake City. <laughs> I, maybe it's because she's like, I don't know, the voice I, alone. I know, but Lisa Barlow, I, I can't oh, get yeah. enough of. I'm so curious how you feel about her because I just find her so fascinating, even though she's kind of awful at times. <laughs> well, I love, I love Lisa. I mean, full disclosure, she's... <laughs> She is a fan of my podcast, so I love her for that alone. Um, okay, but I love- great. Well, yeah, she's not awful. Okay, <laughs> she listens to this. Hi, Lisa. <laughs> no, no, but I loved her before before I ever heard from her. No, I mean, I you know, I think Lisa, yeah. I, I, I do. I've always had a soft spot for Lisa in the way that I have a soft spot for... Lisa, you know, she's... I, I think this is the thing. I, I, ha- I tend to have a soft spot for uh, the women on these shows where I can feel a really deep level of vulnerability and then kind of layered on top of that is just someone, you know, who's really like, like Lisa's just, she's on the go. She's on the go. She's on the go. <laughs> let me get it done. Let me fix it. Let me get it done. And I think, yeah, there's kind of a world of chaos that she sort of mm. embodies because I think 
it's, I think it's, I mean, I'm feeling it now, even though I talk about her. I think that there's, there's, I feel like with Lisa and she's, I think she's talked on the show about, you know, that she really, you know, from a young age, she had a lot of responsibility and, you know, she was sort of the one who made things happen. And I, I just sort of get this feeling off her that, um, it's it's hard for her to re- like it doesn't feel fully safe to really surrender to that sort of maybe gentler more tender more vulnerable place at least in relationship to other people so for me i like her because i i can feel her heart underneath all of that and then what she creates on top of that is so sort of larger than life and at times ridiculous that i find it you know i find it endearing and funny so, you know, I'm yeah. for her. I, I like, and I, you know, she loves her family so much. So she's, to me, she's like a perfect housewife, but you're talking to someone who loves Vicky and loves Ramona. So like, this is, <laughs> I go okay, for this yeah. kind of thing, you know, like I like these sort of <laughs> independent women who, you know, are a little chaotic, but there's sort of, a, yeah. I, mean, I know some people will say Ramona and Vicky don't have hearts. I think they have hearts underneath <laughs> it. So, you know, that's, I go for that kind of thing. It is interesting too, because you kind of mentioned there, like, like, we're kind of talking about how she's sort of afraid to tap into something. I'm thinking of this recent ton of development of her and her long-term friend Angie, and when Angie confronted her with this, you know, allegedly calling the caterers off in her event. And the, one of the first things Lisa did was go, I need Meredith and then she gets more upset and she goes where is John I need John like so she's sort of clawing for like help almost immediately like she can't actually sort of face it head on for too long yeah it was interesting it'd be interesting to drop into that um she you know I don't know again I don't know how active you are and kind of the Instagram of everything but you know she's really produced what seemed to me to be credible receipts kind of showing yeah I saw um, yeah yeah, so so if we sort of look at it from that angle, that you know, it'd be interesting to think about what was really triggering her there. I think, I mean, I definitely something around being set up, and um, yeah, I'm just kind of I'm just taking a moment just to feel into it a little bit here. I again, something around that like safety, you know, it's like uh, like a friend of twenty years feeling mm-hmm. like I'm getting set up and kind of like. Yeah, I'm not in control of the situation. Like, what's going on here? It, it it reminds me, you know, I did a whole episode on that fight she had with Heather at the reunion, and I just remember yeah. when she when she sort of walked off the stage, it was just like I'm being attacked. Like, what did she keep? She kept saying something like, "I'm." They're attacking who I am, and again, in this place yeah. where I listen to what they're saying, I was like, it's so interesting. It just feels like there's something there about for Lisa this experience of I could be attacked. You know, and I remember I talked about that on the podcast and it's coming back to me now, just that fear of like, if I drop my guard for one second, if I'm not on the go for one second, that vulnerability that I spoke about earlier, I could get attacked there. And so it's almost like for me, if Angie's sort of sitting across from me and she's doing something and I'm not in control of the situation, it's like, wait, what's going on here? What's going like? It's almost like survival is what it feels like mm. to me as Lisa. Like I gotta pin this down because something something unsafe could happen here when I'm not in control. And then I just feel the pain of feeling betrayed by someone who. It's almost like that place of like, God, can I catch a break? Like, can I trust anyone? You know what I mean? Like, can mm. I ever just fucking let my guard down with someone? That's so true. Oh my God, like, this is why I like Lisa. There are layers to her. I don't. I just find her fascinating. <laughs> I'm so curious too if you've had any encounters or run-ins with anybody from Housewives either online via social media or maybe in person I mean you live in 
LA or California. So I'm guessing maybe some of them have crossed your path, but have you had any encounters? I mean, just, I mean, back before I did any of this, I actually posted this to my Instagram stories because I found the, I forgot about this. I found the photo. I did run into Ken and Lisa at the Dallas Fort Worth, Texas airport of all places. And um, (laughs) we were on, we were all on layover. And because I wasn't in LA and we were in Texas, I was like, I'm getting a picture with Lisa. Uh, So I got my little photograph with Lisa. No, but I'm, Matt, strangely, I, I saw Adrian, Maloof, and Brandy filming back in second oh. season of uh, Beverly Hills. I don't know that I've, I mean, God, why, why do I not run into Vicky? Um, but um, <laughs> no, I mean, truthfully, I get scared. I get really scared for them to find what I'm doing. I worry that it would like <laughs> deeply upset them. But I mean, I guess I've, you know, I mean, Lisa Barlow reached out to me and was actually quite lovely. And uh, it actually really, it really helped me because I I get worried. I know my intention with this is good. And ultimately the space that I'm coming from is to really hold space for their humanity and, and to really not do what happens so often with these shows, which is, you know, people want to really vilify and make demons and monsters or conversely, you know, heroes out of these women and to instead let's just sort of look at this from a place of deeper humanity. But I sometimes worry that that might get lost because I'm also there as a viewer and I've got my opinions and I'm throwing shade. Yeah. And so to hear from her, you know, she responded to it well and, you know, basically said this actually helped me, you know, to see myself in a new way. And, you know, hearing from her, it really touched me actually. And it really helped me to think like, okay, like, I am like, I am doing something good here. I'm not just contributing yeah. to like the, the tabloid you know, kind of negativity. So she's the only one I've actually heard from. I don't know if other people see it or not. Like I said, I get kind of scared. For, I, I never want people tagging. <laughs> because I'm just like, don't bring them over right. here. No I'm tagging. scared no they're going to be so offended by what I'm doing. I hope, I hope they would feel the intention of what I'm doing. No, I mean, there's no malice in what you do. It's in-depth and it's, you're exploring their personalities and they maybe won't like what they hear because who wants necessarily to hear that about themselves. But I don't think I've ever heard you be, I've been like, that's too far. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So, but I know what you mean. It's like, will they get that? It's hard to know, particularly with people in reality TV, like their appeals that they're so reactionary and outward facing, but they also then don't always take everything that's said in the best fate. So I can understand why you'd be like, please know that I'm not just vilifying you. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, I mean, we're going into deep stuff. And I do always say, look, this is playful exploration. I don't know these women. I'm going off edited episodes. So I'm not presenting this as the voice of psychic God has spoken. Um, yeah. You know, but I also know like, yeah, I'm getting into deep stuff. And it's, it's yeah, I don't know how some of them would react. I don't know how Sonia Morgan would react or Dorinda would react to my kind of read on their behavior. You know, these are thin skinned people on the show. So mm. I, I really don't know what they would make of it, to be honest. But if you were on the show, I'm curious if you were at Real Housewife tomorrow and they said, listen, we need a tagline. What would your tagline be? Well, okay. Is this cheating? I had someone else that asked me this. So I already have one. Is that cheating, Connor? Can no, I No, it's a tagline. Okay. It's a tagline. Okay, great. So, okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Yes. Okay. I'm an intuitive and an empath, which means I'm always ready to read you, but try and cross me and honey, I will read you. <laughs> I love how there was like a sem momentum to that. You were like, and this for the third act of this time, that's perfect. And also it, t- it lets you know what you, who you are, what you do, which I think every good housewife's timeline, at least their first season sets up like, this is who I am. 
yeah, you know, you gotta you gotta work in the the business. Yeah, that's and that is the most housewives thing of all. Um, this is a question I love to ask guests because it just prompts such like varied responses from people. But um, you're throwing a housewives dinner party tomorrow. You're gonna have five people. Can be housewives themselves, friends of, hangers on, the husbands, whoever. What five people from Housewives World are coming around for dinner and why? Okay, well, this is what. So, can I give you two? sets of guests because sure, I feel yeah. like there's two ways to answer this question. There's one way, which is who do I just want to spend time with because I love watching them on the show and the novelty of like hanging out with them. And then there's actually creating like an honest to God, good dinner party. That would be interesting and enjoyable for everyone involved. Yeah. So good TV versus good dinner party. Basically they're two separate things, aren't they? <laughs> exactly. These are two very, very different things. So, so I can, I, you'll indulge me two different sets. Absolutely. Okay. I've really, I've been giving a lot of thought about this, but I'm still, I'm going <laughs> to, you know, I'm just going to take this, you know, slowly just so that I can make sure it all feels right. So I think for just in terms of like the women who I want to just spend some time with. So number one, and again like don't cancel me og of the oc vicky gumbleton all-time favorite <laughs> housewife gotta whip oh, it up wow. with vicky okay. um I... <laughs> you, you just like lost all respect. look Kyle, no, i'm just curious gonna... as to why i'm curious like i'm curious as to why because i think when you've watched her for i came to oc quite late and i think that's partly why my relationship with vicky is different whereas if i'd followed her all along, I think I would probably feel softer towards her. Have you watched the early seasons? No, not really. I've dipped in oh there. So like, I, God. yeah, I don't think I know Vicky Vicky. Like, you know, I don't know the good days. Well, no, actually, I mean, look, there were never good days, but I'm just shocked <laughs> okay. that you, as a self-professed housewife, I know. do you know, Fake wait, fan. What, season, what season did you come into? Oh, okay, <laughs> this is so funny. This is like no one will ever listen to the podcast again. I started OC the season that I knew they were coming to Ireland because I'm in Ireland, so I was like, I need to watch this full season so I'm ready for the cast trip. So that was, I know, that's late. That's late, OC. God, no, but do you understand? Do you understand the amount <laughs> of amazing television you have in front of you? Like, oh, I know. I haven't seen the Brooks thing. I know. I know. But even before you get <laughs> to Brooks, I mean, you have seasons one. OC <laughs> never fails. I want you to okay. understand this. It never fails. Season seven so amazing. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just jealous that you have okay, all these thank you. journeys still ahead of you. Oh, true, gee. True. <laughs> oh, maybe what you need to do is watch seasons one to ten. You can come on my podcast and we'll like. Oh yeah, I'd love that. that. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. I'd be like, I'm I'm converted. <laughs> so you've only ever experienced OC with Kelly Dodd on it. I know, and that in itself is is something I I don't know how I feel with that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, those early seasons, the storylines that were so real. Oh mm. my god, you have no idea what you're missing. Josh Waring, <laughs> who's like still, oh god, it's so trash. Anyways, okay, so okay, but to answer your question, Vicky, um, yes, you know, she's just the ultimate tragicomic heroine. You know, she's like a Tennessee. It's like she, yeah. God, it's like she wants so much to be loved and it's like she just gets in her own way. And it's like, I, I think, you know, don't get me wrong. When I started OC, I was like, I hate this woman. Then it kind of grew into loving to hate her because she was kind of funny. Mm -hmm. And then somewhere along the way, I just learned to appreciate her for who she is. She's just, she's so vulnerable. And yet she's she's so interesting because it's, you know, she she has this insurance business she works hard. She's independent. She's financially empowered. There's this way in which she's very kind of 
strong and, and in a way actually aspirational, right? In terms of her personal power. Right? But then on the flip mm-hmm. side of it, she's this hole of need and, you know, the narcissism. I, it, she's just, to me, Vicky is who she is. She's always going to give you exactly who she is. It's never for the cameras. And I just feel like this is a real human being. This is why I want to watch reality TV. It's just, she's compelling. Right. None of it's staged for the camera. And what I also love about Vicky and kind of what I love about OC in general is she's never gets too good for the show. So yeah. even though, yes, yes. Does she get on her high horse about being the OG and I started all this? Yes. Okay, great. But as far as like, she's always a good employee. <laughs> she's never pulls an LVP. She never pulls a Nini. She never gets too good for the show. And I just, right. I don't know. It's, it's, look, she's given it all to the show. She's given it all to the show. And uh, true. You can't deny that. However, you feel Vicky, she more than most of them really has laid it all bare. And she's funny. I mean, the thing is, she's both unintentionally funny, like, you know, the blanket over her head. I mean, whatever. There's so many moments. Oh, yeah. Iceland. <laughs> but she's also kind of funny. Like, she can be intentionally funny. And sometimes she has really good comedic timing. And this is the last thing I'll say about Vicky. I actually want to say that she she has gotten humbled by the show. And, you know, if you go mm. back and watch those early seasons, like, she was so much more on her... Like, you know, she had kind of a religious high horse. She was much... Um, she she was just much more kind of holier than thou. And she was, she was a raging hypocrite. And there was just a point along the way where you kind of, where she got confronted enough with her own hypocrisy. I think it was around the Brooks stuff, especially where you finally saw her kind of realize like, look, <laughs> I am who I am. I'm married to the show. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And that's kind of more when her whoop it up her kind of first persona came in. And I just, I don't know, there's just something for me about her journey that, and how alone she is now, especially now that she's broken up with Steve. It's, I, I just, I don't know, there's, there's a pathos to her. I just feel like she wants so badly to connect and yet she's so deeply alone at the same time. And I find that sad. <laughs> oh my God. So, she, so she's the first of your I want to hang out with just for TV dinner party. So who else is joining Vicky at that dinner party? Well, I definitely Sheree is coming. She's my number two. Okay. I feel like I. So this is wait. Is this a housewife dinner party or Bravo dinner party? Well, I mean, we can ex- we can expand it if you like. I don't, I'm done with that. Oh, okay. Because I, you know, I think it's important to have some male energy in the mix, and so I definitely mm-hmm. thought I could invite Kyle Cook. From Summer House, um, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of liven the party up. I also was thinking, you know, I got to invite my girl, Lisa Barlow. You know, I feel like, yes. you know, got to, you know. <laughs> and then I think fifth, five is really not very many. I know, I've made it an impossible task. <laughs> I'm, this is the thing, I'm going to get canceled for, for who I'm about to say. But I have We've already to had the Vicky Lovin. <laughs> We've had the Vicky Lovin. <laughs> I know. I mean, look, I, I have to follow my heart. I could lie and come up yeah, with someone lie. else. <laughs> I'm going to go with Ramona. I'm just going to oh. go with Ramona. You know, okay. I, look, I know she's problematic. I know she's uh, can be a monster. You know, again, like Vicky, you know, she's her own worst enemy. She's, she's, look, she is dynamic television and she can't help yeah. being who she is. And she makes me laugh all the effing time. And I want Ramona. Look, I'm not saying I want to be best friends with Ramona, 
I'm just saying if I'm having a dinner party with five housewives, I want Ramona to be there. And if you're filming this, you know she's going to bring something good or bad. Like she's going to bring something. That's the reality. No pun intended. I mean, I'm a little worried about her just because like she can really cross that line into kind of ruining a dinner party. But um, yeah. I feel like with these other guests, I think she's going to be okay. Yeah, I think she'll I think she'll fit right in. So that's the <laughs> made for TV dinner party. But you said you had your an actually good dinner party with good guests. So who's on that roster? First and foremost, Candy for sure. Um, you know, smart, entrepreneurial, creative, good person. Um, okay, yeah. my second person for my good dinner party. Okay, this is like this is for the true Housewives OGs. This is going way back. I'm gonna go with Linda from DC. Did you watch DC? Oh my, I've watched half of DC. Which one was Linda? I've seen like the first four episodes. So she was like the older boss bitch who had like the really hot younger boyfriend. Oh, yes. She, yes. You know her? Like she just, Linda was awesome. Was she the one with the modeling agency? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that I remember her. Yeah. I remember her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I definitely want Linda at this dinner party. Okay. Well, that's a throwback. Wow. Yeah. Um, no, I, I really gave it some thought. I, I, my next one <laughs> was surprising to me. But again, I'm going, I'm doing this intuitively, Connor. Yeah, not from yeah. my head this is from my heart <laughs> i want um I, I think sutton i think sutton would be a good Ooh. addition to this mix um i i like her southern flair i think she's kooky i think she's smart and she you know, she, you know she's i like sutton i want sutton to be there i think she's a good dinner party guy next uh, this was another one that i was like okay i'm a little even though i love her i was a little surprised but i want her there wendy from potomac uh, okay. And I think I think with Wendy, it's because she's both very accomplished, smart, yeah. like has a lot going on, but she's also a little ridiculous, you know. So I think she brings in some of the, you know, she's she can bring in a little bit of the ridiculousness, a little bit of the dramatic, mm-hmm. flair, you know. Okay, my fifth spot is a toss up, so I, I couldn't okay. choose between these. So it's either or. We can have a tie. It's a tie. <laughs> okay, it's a tie, and both of these are gonna, I think, are surprising. So the first one, and you need to hear me out on this, is Gina from OC. Not Gina Tio, like recent Gina. Gina Kirschneider. Exactly. I think think she came into the mix because I thought she had a great season. I really didn't like her before last season. Thought she had a great Mm -hmm. season last season. And I think she would just bring in kind of like, I felt like last season she was really real. She was really raw. She's in a learning process about herself. She's vulnerable. I just, just like, you know what? She's going to bring a down-to-earth quality to this dinner party. And I, she was so compassionate to Bronwyn last season. I was just like, I want, I'm ready for her to be at this dinner party. So either mm. her <laughs> or the, t- the tie. <laughs> I mean, you know, and again, this might be a little controversial. Jen Shaw. And the reason <laughs> oh. why. <laughs> yeah. The reason why is like, how can you not have a mastermind criminal at a dinner? Like, you know what I mean? Like, we need a criminal at this dinner party. Gotta be, I've always, like my mother always said, you know, always have an alleged criminal at your dinner party. <laughs> the I old mean, if you have a chance to like have a serial killer at your dinner party, aren't you going to have them there? Like, you need her there. <laughs> oh I mean, God. again, we want an interesting dinner party, right? Yeah, yeah. Listen, if you don't want to be bored, and you wouldn't be bored with Jen Shaw there that's for sure so i think like candy linda sutton wendy gina or jen shot like that's an interesting dinner party I, I, i'm it giving is. myself a gold star for that one 
<laughs> you should. And I'm also very interested that you were like, and this is the one that wouldn't be for TV and it would just be fun. I'm like, but that would be really good on TV as well. Like both of those could go down really well. Well, it's a different type of, one's a train wreck, whoop it up. And the other yeah. is a more sophisticated affair. <laughs> I love that I'm saying this. <laughs> I mean, with like Jen Shaw in the mix, but to me, I was it feels about more to say, I was like, <laughs> it's certainly an interesting comparatively uh, it's a more sophisticated <laughs> oh my god that's a strong, very both very strong lineups um before we wrap up i have to ask if people want to find you online or check out your work where can they do that well definitely follow me on instagram you know there's all sorts of you know bravo related content on instagram so jamie yeah. stein j-a-m-i-e-s-t-e-i-n Definitely check out my podcast, Deep Dive with Jamie Stein. Season two just started. We go deep into all the housewives mm. stuff. So if you like that kind of thing, you're going to be in heaven. Um, and then if you're curious about my work, go to my website, hollywoodreadings.com, and you can kind of read about more about what I do. And if you're interested, you can send me an email and I can forward you more information about it. And I presume you do readings of people like in different time zones and, re- and remotely if people from other sides of the world wanted to reach out, they could do so. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I work with people from all over the world. So, um, I, you know, I do, I, um, I'm very sort of limited in the number of sessions I do per day just because they require a lot of me. So I'm booked out, mm-hmm. you know, a month or two. So, um, you know, you, you kind of have to, you know, wait your turn. But um, that, that said, was Jamie Stein here on Housewives and Me. Don't forget to, work to out check out his podcast, Deep Dive so, with Jamie yeah, Stein. I'll link to that in the show notes for this episode, including maybe Lisa Barlow. And you can find Jamie on Instagram as well. He was really interesting videos, kind of in the vein of what he was talking about with me on this episode. That's a question for another And you can go to his website. And Jamie, it has been a pleasure to get to chat to you reading I've enjoyed or availing of your work from afar for so long so thank you very much for coming on Housewives and Me oh no drop an email and see because it's the kind of thing that you know is probably worth checking out if you liked what you heard today and you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts I'd really appreciate a rating or a review you can do that on the Apple Podcasts app and it helps more people find the show wherever you listen new episodes come out every single Tuesday so follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss a single one and you can find this podcast on social media at Housewives and Me on Twitter and Instagram is where you'll find it. And if you'd like to follow me, it's Connor Bean is my handle on Twitter and Instagram as well. All those links are in the show notes for this episode. So until next time, thank you very much for listening. Stay safe and I'll talk to you soon. This podcast is sponsored by Hey You, which is the home of the housewives. Every season and every episode of all of the real housewives is available to stream or download right now on Hey You. And it is the only place you will get new episodes the same day as the US. No spoilers here because we are getting stuck straight in thanks to Hey You. You can start a free trial now at HeyU.com. And after that, it's only $5.99 per month, which is like the price of a cup of coffee. And there's no commitments. You can cancel whenever you want. November is going to be amazing because something that we Housewives fans have dreamed of for years is finally happening. The crossover of dreams I am discussing, I am bringing to your attention. The Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip is coming to Heyu from Friday the 19th of November. I actually cannot believe this is happening. We have Melissa and Teresa from Jersey. We have Kyle from Beverly Hills. We have Cynthia and Kenya. Kenya! from Atlanta and we of course representing New York have Ramona and Luan as well what is going to happen when those gals get together I I can't even I can't deal I actually can't deal I'm so excited and if you wanted more oh there's more 
on Mondays, you will have The Real Housewives of Potomac, The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, and my girls, finally back, The Real Housewives of Melbourne. Come on. Everything you could need housewives-wise is on Hey You this November.